getting you out of the church and back into the wild. Welcome to the Barbarian Prophet. Welcome, fellow Horde members. Just thanks for coming on out today and tuning us in. I've got a very special guest today. His name is Craig Nagel. You'll pick up his name at the tail end of all of my broadcasts because he is a very dear friend. He is a man that definitely lives in the wild. He lives for Jesus Christ fully all the time. I've seen this guy do some of the most amazing things over the years that I know him. Known him. I think I met Craig originally probably 20 plus years ago when you were over at Cindy's shop. Mm-hmm. But I was kind of a different person then. Oh yeah, me too. <laughs> and we we didn't really like become friends. We nope. just kind of bounced off of each other. But then something changed about mm-hmm. what, probably seven, eight years ago? Mm. Yeah. Well, I would say what changed it almost yeah, at least that, right? I met you in the <clears throat> fall of 2009 i think or 2010 so we're looking right there at about 10 years ago yeah. mm-hmm. but what had changed in us is jesus christ absolutely both of us had come to know jesus and, <laughs> and the holy spirit recognized yeah. that we needed to be together absolutely yep so craig <coughs> you uh give give us a little rundown of yourself where where do you live right now i live in copper basin which is a neighborhood in santan valley arizona it's about 40 miles roughly southeast of phoenix proper uh yeah in the valley of the sun valley of the sun that's cool down in the heat yep i'm actually trying to figure out getting myself motivated to begin a blog or or podcast that I'm considering titling Walking with the Sun, cool. S-O-N, right. in the Valley of the Sun, S-U-N. That's groovy, man. And, you know, I would I would encourage that because I anytime that we can step out and encourage people, and that's what you and I have been doing together for a long time. Yep. I mean, because we started into jail ministry. We were in jail ministry for five years together. Mm-hmm. And Correct. I remember when I invited you up there that you were like, yes. And then they locked you in and you were like, what <laughs> no. the heck am I doing? <laughs> so give us kind of a rundown of, you know, during our jail ministry, what was some of the things that really, really struck you uh, being inside and talking to people? I mean, let, let's face it. You and I dealt with guys that were child molesters. Yeah, that was tough. That was tough. And that and we dealt with murderers, rapists. Mm-hmm. We dealt with thieves and drug addicts. Mm-hmm. We deal with everything. I'm still I'm still in on my end. <coughs> and God's kind of moved you as he moved you to Arizona, he's moving you into some new ministries. Yep. Not sure how that's all gonna pan out, but it's I know it's gonna be cool. Well the one thing is is that you've already been in one of the toughest ministries that is in the United States. Because dealing with people that have done some of the most wrong things to other humans mm-hmm. and finding it in our hearts to love them, mm-hmm. once you're able to do that and you deal with somebody that, oh, <laughs> you know, I'm struggling with pornography and you're right. like, okay, well, I can tell you where this leads. Exactly. But at the end of the day, what are some of your memories from back then? Um, well, I... I'll just share this with you while you were talking. One of the things that catches me and causes me to pause every once in a while is realizing 
uh, one of the things I learned, one of the things I learned very much in the jail, had firsthand experience, is that the key difference between myself and a lot of those guys is that I didn't get caught. Yep, that's true. There are so many of us on the outside that go, well, I'm not like those people behind bars. And and if you were to be taking their life to a microscope, mm-hmm. they could they could very easily be any one of those guys behind bars. I tell people all the time, <clears throat> you're one accusation away from being in jail. Mm-hmm. Or you're one left turn or one beer too many. Well, and, and in this day, in this day, in this country... It's really one accusation rather than you're not. We're getting to that point where you don't have to be proven guilty yet. No, no. You just need to be accused. No. And how many guys do we see released from jail after Mm -hmm. their accusers were proved false, but they sat in there for six months losing their job, their house and everything. Close to a year. Yep. The the one fella, um, oh man, his name is escaping me. No, That's fine. He yeah, does. We, you guys we, don't need to know his name, but <laughs> yeah. he's clear in my mind. And he spent, I would say, the better part of eleven months as every person that was a key witness against him, supposedly mm-hmm. for this alleged crime, mm-hmm. fell off. Right. Fell off. Fell off until the point that the county had nothing that they could bring against him because they had no witnesses. Right. They had no evidence. They had to let him go. But that was an eleven-month kick. Absolutely, and <clears throat> and, that, and it destroyed everything around it. Yeah. Except, except it didn't fully destroy him. Correct. He kept coming up to our to, Bible study to the lost and found on Thursday night, and <laughs> and keeping his head clear and his temper calm. And uh, that was a beautiful thing to watch. By the way, guys, that's what we call our Bible study up there is the lost and found because that's kind of what it is. <laughs> it's exactly what it is. And, you know, I actually have a, a prison ministry that we also we call the church in there the lost and found is because that's what we're doing, reaching out to the lost. Mm-hmm. But on the other end, we are ministering and growing the found, those that have found Jesus Christ. Correct. So what what hit me first on the first night is that I was I was very nervous. I remember being very nervous. I didn't think I had anything to tell these guys. I'd only ever spent like eight hours behind bars. How are they going to relate to me? How am I going to relate to them? And then realizing that I could be any one of those guys. <clears throat> Just, right. you know, not to tell tales, tell tales on myself, but haven't always been the most correct upstanding individual you haven't <clears throat> shockingly enough no hmm, that's amazing i know um <laughs> god chooses in scripture we see it all the time god chooses the least of these i am one of the least of these i have nothing to recommend me i don't have righteousness of my own i understand how we get to be self-righteous because i really did go that way in the first year or two of following jesus i became my grandmother pointing my finger and my nose at everybody and i want you to know i could tell that you'd become your grandmother from the shawl you were wearing <laughs> i kept telling you quit wearing those dresses bro. that's right yeah <laughs> and those shoes gotta go those shoes gotta go um but i learned that uh that i could be one of those guys and then i was surprised to learn the second misconception I had was that I was going up there to teach those guys. I was going up there to learn with them because a lot of those fellows had some questions that I had never considered. 
And so in looking for answers to those questions, I learned right along with them. And when you have, well, some of those guys, all they have for 19 hours a day every day is time to read. Absolutely. So they're, they, they're the guys that read through the entire Bible in like six months. Mm-hmm. And then go through it again and go through it again. And they knew a lot. And it was amazing. It was actually one of my favorite things. It became my favorite night of the week. Other than spending time with my son was to be able to go up to the jail. Awesome. You know, one of the things when we take a look at how you uh, were ministering with those guys up there. I mean, there was a, there was nights that you and me are together and I obviously talk an awful lot. <laughs> but one thing yeah, I used bit. to notice, and I've always been curious, and I want to rob from you one of these days, you used to take copious notes. Um, you yeah. took so many stinking notes. I was like, why are you taking all those notes? It's like, I got to remember all this stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, what we found led them, led them, and I think this is something where I learned to work with you best, is you and I were on the same page for letting people ask questions and the hard questions. And if we didn't have the answer, we didn't make something up. No. We would tell them, we'll get back to you. Yeah. And we would find the answer. But more times than not, between the two of us, because one thing about about Craig is that he can he can he can dial up an address in the Bible like nobody I've ever seen before and one thing I can put it into context for these guys because mm-hmm. I, I speak street pretty well yeah and uh, but Craig would dial up the the address and he'd say look this is what this means and he'd give a very sound uh, theological understanding and then I would I would I would throw some <laughs> kind of funky twist on it and they'd go, Oh yeah, that makes total sense. But what we found is after about three months that they didn't want the street explanation. They wanted the straight explanation. That's right. That's right. <clears throat> that's how it should be though. That's that's God's word in action, is that God's word brings wisdom. It says uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing th- that of the word of God. And so Part of the time, part of the way into working up at the jail, I started reading the Bible out loud when I was reading by myself at home mm-hmm. because I can see it and then I can hear it and God's word always comes back full. It never comes back empty. <clears throat> and you've always been really good about um, applying it in your life and applying it in other people's lives as well. So you know, some that was only one of the ministries you were in, you and I mm-hmm. were involved in. Mm-hmm. You you had another uh, uh, Bible study going. That mm-hmm. was I don't remember what night it was. Was it on Monday night? Monday nights, yeah. It was on Monday nights. And where was that tattoo, at? Down at my tattoo shop, Chapters Tattoo. So we did uh, Bible study in a tattoo shop. Mm-hmm. It drew the colorful characters. <laughs> it did. It, a lot of different people. We had some we had some people show up from time to time that were definitely not believers. Were um, I think a couple of them sat in to just try to correct my thinking and understanding about the Bible from their politicized understanding of a few verses. I think taken somewhat out of context, but that was a good night. It was you know we we sit down with a couple of strong lesbian ladies and oh, yeah. 
And the, but we had a good conversation. It didn't develop into warfare. So no, no I definitely remember that because I told him if you're com if you're combative, mm-hmm. or if you're coming in here with a militant uh, mindset, that that we can't have this discussion. Mm-hmm. But you were definitely the go-between there. Well, because you had a good relationship with them from mm-hmm. tattooing, mm-hmm. and one of them had a. I didn't find out till later had a real negative opinion of you <clears throat> based what? on oh yeah based on a third person understanding of you what um people don't like me craig what well there was it was her perception of who you used to be oh i well that was i nobody liked that guy <laughs> right i didn't like but that guy. she that's didn't, why we killed that guy with jesus it was her perception of you as gained from she was really peripheral Mm-hmm. really peripheral to some incident. But it's like we talked about many times how people take other people's offenses and own them. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> she had no firsthand experience, only limited secondhand experience, mm-hmm. but felt that she knew who you were. And then I don't think she even really keyed into the fact that you weren't that guy anymore. <laughs> and people people are always going to have opinions, man. Sure. Especially, you know, <clears throat> you do not run a motorcycle gang for 10 years uh-huh. uh, in, in a couple of states mm-hmm. and gain a bunch of friends. That's true. Even within the organization, you have people that fear you. Mm-hmm. Well, there's that. But then it's just it was funny to me seeing it in the tattoo shop. I've also seen it in the jail when guys that used to know you back in the day would roll up in there and go, "Oh, I know all about you." Not so much. Right. You all you know a lot about maybe about who I used to be. Right. So, yeah, Bible study down at the shop was good. Eventually, I think Monday night was probably a poor choice. Because football season, the attendance dropped off spectacularly. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. <clears throat> um, it went on for almost three years. I think that the other major issue was that business as usual at the shop continued because I had other artists working there who were not saved, which that didn't bother me, but they you know they'd have they'd have clients. They'd be working. They mm-hmm. wanted to have music playing, and uh, it created a bit of a sort of a tense atmosphere from time to time. Some of the people that were getting tattooed didn't really want to be closely in the same vicinity as a lot of people who believed in God and were talking about the Bible. And, yeah. <laughs> eh, I don't know. Well, and that definitely becomes one of those things that you have to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. That yeah. if you're going to do it with an open and running shop, there's the clients in that shop always were able to pick their own music. Mm-hmm. And you had some guys that I swear <laughs> what they did was uh, they were they wanted tattoo during the Bible study so that they could play for, some kind of death metal or something, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. to be in the background. Yeah, and they were literally trying to disrupt it. But that's just the enemy at work, man. Yeah, well, it is, and. And there were there were sometimes people at the Bible study that wanted to get lippy with the clients, and that's that wasn't the point of it. it no, was, it was not. Let's not bring warfare in here. We're we're here to learn. I started that Bible study actually because I'd not been all the way through the Bible, and I wanted to know what it said. 
and I thought I would benefit myself with other people's understanding of the same passage. Oh, yeah. People yeah. don't think like me. Well, and you had that thing going when I first showed up. You'd already been doing that for a bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I, I was very limited involved. The only reason I got involved is because of a few people asking questions while I was in there talking, and I mm-hmm. told them that I would answer those questions. Yep. At that study, and and what we were trying to do is encourage people to come and learn about the Bible. Not, not. Um, I think you were hit it right on the head with politicizing the Bible, right, or weaponizing it, right. You know, but yeah. you, you know that. Okay, so you had the tattoo shop. You're doing jail. You're doing mm-hmm. the Bible study, and then you start into doing cover ups on people. And that's one thing, yep. folks. I'll tell you. And this is a free advertisement from Bert. Is one hundred percent free. But the truth of the matter is, is you know, I have several different tattoos on my person from my past life, mm-hmm. and I only had one that I ever wanted removed and it said something on there that was um it had a meaning in the words that were on it that said i'm not afraid to kill my own mm-hmm. meaning that i wasn't afraid to if you betrayed me i would no matter whether we called each other brother or not i was not afraid to harm you mm-hmm. and uh, craig stepped up and we came up with a plan to cover that up mm-hmm because I didn't ever wanted to be known as that person, not even by accident. Mm-hmm. And so what happened is Craig stepped in and gave me this beautiful tree of life. <laughs> we created something mm-hmm. that was meant for death and life came <clears throat> forth from it. And I know what some Christians out there are not down with uh, tattoos <laughs> or whatever. And I mean, that's cool, man. That's your thing. I'm good. Um, but unfortunately for you, and for a lot of people, uh, the people that think this way, is that there was a whole bunch of us that didn't know Jesus from the time we were two. Mm, mm-hmm. I mean, I lived as a pagan. You mm. lived as a pagan yep. for a long time. Mm-hmm. And this is part of that lifestyle. It was, yeah. And uh, so how long, would you, would you practice magic, you practice mm-hmm. witchcraft. Yep, did. Fill, fill me in on that. Okay, um... <clears throat> Most of that came about after uh, leaving Casper. <laughs> Casper's kind of a small pond, but I, I left in the Air Force and got stationed in California. I ended up getting married, and my uh, in-laws, mm-hmm. to to my brother-in-law and his wife, were s- serious practitioners of Wicca at first when I first met them, and they drew my wife and I into that. Um, <clears throat> and I went into that. With a bit of skepticism, I'm a pretty intelligent guy. Right. You know, um, I had some skepticism. I had some uh, misgivings, but I also had a deep desire for it to be true and accurate. Mm -hmm. Because I very much wanted some kind of uh, magic in my life, some kind of... of, uh, you wanted supernatural. I wanted supernatural. I wanted more than just an average, ordinary, ho-hum life. And in my youth, I was very much into the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and, oh, yeah. you know, Gandalf the Wizard. And But I also read all that as a child with a child's understanding. Right. I've read those books many times, but it took being an adult and getting my head straight to realize that Gandalf rarely ever practices magic. 
Mm-hmm. And when he does, it's always – oh, hang on. <clears throat> now, time out just a second. Throw me back to the whole situation with Gandalf again. Okay. Now, you you saw yourself as him? Or yeah, you... actually, when I was a kid, I, I – I, you know, kids want to be the hero. Right, mm-hmm. I wanted mm-hmm. to kind of be the hero with the sword and whatever, but actually, when I was little, the ones that I gravitated the most to in in the Lord of the Rings was Gandalf. Okay. In Star Wars was old Ben Kenobi. Mm. All right, Obi Wan. Um, Obi Wan, the old wizard. <clears throat> because to me, they seemed to be, I don't know, really where I wanted to be with okay. uh, with the knowledge and the. They were always calm, and they always had the power to do what they needed to do. So what you were really drawn to is the power. The power. Yes, I was. I was drawn to the power. It wasn't about fighting, because those guys eventually perish. It was about having power and authority. True. Okay. That's true. It's interesting. And, of course, I didn't recognize that at the time. Right. But as I'm coming up into being a young man, getting exposed to the possibility of being able to work magic... I definitely wanted to be involved in that mm-hmm. because of power. Right. And it wasn't until much later that I realized, I learned and realized that Gandalf very rarely ever exercised power in that fashion. Mm-hmm. He always, it was always as a last resort, always only when it was necessary and to the least amount possible to extricate them from a problem. Gotcha. The only other time that he stood up with strong power was against a massive evil that right. the rest of the of the party had no chance against. And he put himself in harm's way, and he died. And in the scripture, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And when Gandalf died, he died on the bridge in the dwarven mines against the Balrog right. in order to get them free of it. <clears throat> he himself faced that thing down. Got pulled down and died, and later he's resurrected. There's a lot of imagery in the Tolkien stories that are without a doubt. And you know, one of the great things about Tolkien (coughs) was that he he was Christian. He was absolutely, and and that story, whether people want to recognize, I'm an allegory guy. Yeah, so uh, I I (coughs) did recognize. I didn't read the books like you. You tore into those books, mm-hmm. man. Oh, that, yeah. that is that is definitely how your brain works. The movies, you know, I'm a mm-hmm. visual guy, sure. So I, I'm, I, yeah, it's intense. That's that was definitely an intense, intense deal. And actually, in his world, Gandalf doesn't really represent Jesus. No, no, because we're waiting for the one king. We are. He actually represents an angel. Hmm. That's interesting. His, the Order of the Wizards is equivalent. There were seven of them, and they were equivalent to archangels. See, and I always <clears> thought, um, and, and I'm just plugging this in, is when I always took a look at Lord of the Rings, I saw the elves as angels. Even their language sounds like tongues. They Okay, and that makes sense because there are light and dark elves. Right. But the the role of the wizards right. was as counselors. Yeah, yeah, to without men. a doubt. I'm, I'm with you, man. That's cool. And the dark one, the dark lord in there, is a fallen angel. So actually, you're correct. Right, right. You know, so because the dark one is a is a fallen, um, one of the first ranks that were created. Right. In his world system. Right. Anyway, right. that's all to the sidetrack. We're good with the rabbit trails here. So I get involved in witchcraft. 
And then that got us really sucked out of regular witchcraft and off into this strange nether realm of personal belief systems. <clears throat> we went that way a long way. And I really start, didn't start coming out of that. I mean, we did blood oaths and, you know, sex magic and the whole business, right? I didn't start coming out of that until after I was divorced um, for the better part of a year. Started my, my, my thinking started clearing up and uh, not saved yet, but, but starting to realize this actually led me to believing in God mm-hmm. um, is that the things that I had believed in that period of my life didn't work the way that I thought they would. This is all part of my testimony, which is all on YouTube. Oh, yeah. And, and I go a little bit more into it there, but I, I began to realize that it, st- it couldn't possibly work the way I thought it did. Right. But I also realized that there had to be a God. Right. Absolutely. There had to be more. And, and you know, coming from Odinism myself, yeah. I am not so foolish to believe those don't exist. Oh, for real. Because demons present themselves as gods all the time. And people that think that people don't worship other gods really need to read the Bible because they're worshiping something that exists. Every single person alive right now is worshiping, is worshiping either the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Yahweh, or something that is trying to be a god absolutely and i'm going to toss this in and i know this isn't part of our talk but i'm Mm -hmm. going to toss it because we're rabbit trail guys and we always have been if you're going to listen to us this takes notes yeah this is just like sitting at my couch it is okay i mean we're we're in wild goose uh, studio, mm-hmm. but the truth of the matter is, this is what our lives are like. We spend days going back and forth with mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I don't know about you, but this is how I think. This is I, how think I think best think out loud. Absolutely. <clears throat> so it sometimes it's good to get my thought process out in the air where I can hear it and right. go, hmm, hmm, how does that, that line up with the truth? Right. So here's the thing: is that you know, I had a lady tell me the other day, well. That's why so many people are going to hell. And I said, no, hold on. God doesn't condemn anybody to hell because that's the way she put it. She put it in a term that God condemns people to hell. I said, God mm-hmm. doesn't condemn anybody to hell. No, they choose it. They choose it. He gives. He loves you so much, he gives you a choice. Mm-hmm. Now, when we are worshiping these other gods, mm-hmm. they are condemned to hell. Mm-hmm. And what we worship in this life, we'll worship in that life. Right. And when we get there, we the tide will change and mm-hmm. we will, they won't be God serving us because that's the way we see it when we're pagan, mm-hmm. that we'll end up serving them in the afterlife. And mm-hmm. when they go to hell, we get taken with them. That's right. That Yeah, that's how that works. And people would say, well, who would choose everlasting torment? Well, nobody. That's a no-brainer. But they don't realize that's what they're choosing. Exactly, because they're promised <clears throat> everything. Mm-hmm. With, with these demons, we are promised everything when we're... Uh, Valhalla, mm-hmm. great glory, feasting, forever, forever, feasting mm-hmm. every night, mm-hmm. and but you know the one thing we don't, and this isn't a cartoon version of worshiping Theoden and, mm-hmm. and Odin, right, and Frey. What what this is when you worship them, you do realize they in their own dogma mm-hmm. that what they end up doing is. Uh, talking about Ragnarok and I'm not talking about a cartoon end of things mm-hmm. 
that they know there'll be a death to all of them. Mm-hmm. And they can find that as well in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's called judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I when I talk to a lot of Asatru, that's what I, I'm able to bring up. Mm-hmm. But let's let's jump back to you started to become your own God. Yeah. Okay, when you said you were self uh what how did you put it? You were you you went from magic to and you stepped out of that and the next thing you went to and you're still not saved, you went to believing you were a god yourself. No, that the God the believing that I was a God thing was part of the magic. That's oh, okay, we got gotcha. way off into there. No, after I started coming out of it, I began to realize that there had to be a God and that I wasn't it. Because <laughs> if if I was God, my life shouldn't have sucked, right? I mean, I should be able to make things happen in my benefit, right? <clears throat> um, yeah, couldn't seem to make that work. Yeah, that didn't quite line up, did it? Right, but I did not. I had not accepted Jesus, and I, at that point, was under the part of the belief structure that I'd been taught in witchcraft, is that... Uh, that Christianity is just the newest religion on the planet and that it's borrowed from all these older religions. It's kind of a cobbled together thing. And that comes from people, and they really believe that, but it comes from people who really haven't actually read the Bible. Right. They've read a few sentences here and there and what somebody else has said about it. Well, it's a lot like that girl that had an opinion of me. Because right. of what other people's opinion of me was, and right. it, and the thing is, that's that's how the History Channel gives everybody their theological understanding. I think, yeah, for real, and it's it's wacky. <laughs> it, as a matter of fact, it wasn't. It was for it was several years later that I actually got saved, right? And then I began to months after that, I began to actually read the Bible to really try to understand what it was that I had gotten myself into by accepting Jesus. Right. And that began a long process. That was March 27th, 2005. So here we are 14 years later. And within the first, within the first year, I, I readily saw that what I'd been taught about Christianity was really off base that everything that I thought I knew was wildly out of context mm-hmm. and, and didn't even remotely really resemble the truth about Jesus, the truth about God, the truth about everything. <clears throat> um, if we've talked many times about if you take a sentence out of context, right, you can use it as a proof text or a pretext for anything. Right. And it's the same thing that's going on today in our political structures. People take a sentence that somebody said out of their conversation. Right. And then uh, present it to the mass uh, public from a certain angle. Right. As though this is the entirety of their thought. You know, that's actually the promotion of a very specific demon, and his name is Leviathan. And we find him back in in Job, but Mm -hmm. we find, and he's like an alligator type thing, Mm -hmm. crocodile. Mm -hmm. And how did they, how did they tear apart their victim? Grab and spin. Grab and spin. Grab a piece of scripture, spin Spin it it. into what you want it, Mm -hmm. and you'll destroy churches. 
<coughs> so that's pretty accurate. That's that's what you're describing here. Yeah. So that's I I came out of that mm-hmm. um, and began recognizing some truths. Right. I believe I was led along a specific path by God um, to a point where I would last um, genuinely consider Jesus as a viable solution. Okay. Because that's the problem that we all face is we need a Savior. And there is one. But until you know you need a Savior and are willing to accept a Savior, you don't want to have anything to do with that. Right. So, so I, I eventually recognized that I needed a savior and, and it was put to me at, at a particular crisis moment, which I, I really believe that nobody comes to Jesus until they're in a crisis moment, a true crisis moment where there's, where they're drowning and there's no other, I guess that's not true. I've seen other people that they weren't presently in a crisis moment when they accepted the Lord. They were in a moment where they weren't actually drowning, but where they'd had everything stripped away from them. That was up at the jail. Mm-hmm. And, well, and where they had a calm moment to consider. Right. Where everything gets stripped away from you to where you don't have all the distractions happening. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that <clears throat> that is the key. Um, so... I'm going to jump you through some of this. Now mm-hmm. you've we've talked about magic. We've mm-hmm. talked about all of this stuff. We've also talked about your ministry at the jail. Mm-hmm. And and I just want to point something out, Craig, mm-hmm. is that one of the reasons I think that you are so wildly successful at the jail is because of that lifestyle. It doesn't matter that you're locked up. You were in a different prison. Yeah. Than they were in. The one they're in a little bit colder than the one you were in. Mhm. Yeah. But prison nonetheless. Prison nonetheless, yeah. Trapped in our mind, <clears throat> trapped in our thoughts, trapped in our emotions, mm-hmm. trapped in our lust mm-hmm. and and stuff to that effect. So they you were always able to relate to them. But mm-hmm. the one thing that I always loved working with you was the sheer fact that you were able to uh, dive into the word and you were able to extract and change their thinking, not mm-hmm. with a single word, but with us being able to flow back and forth. And, yeah. and you and I played ping pong up there a whole bunch <laughs> yeah, from we did. across the table. With, yeah, we did. Boom, boom, here it is. But you know, one of the things that uh, that you also have done for guys that have been trapped in that thinking mm-hmm. is, and with tattoos, mm-hmm. we talked about you covering up yeah. one of mine, Yeah, is that there's a lot of people with, fascist things tattooed on them mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Uh, bigoted yeah bigoted um uh gang symbols um mm-hmm. demonic symbols. demonic symbols yep and stuff and you opened yourself up at one point while you were at, still running your shop up here mm-hmm. uh what you did is you opened up and did something that i don't know that a lot of tattooists do is you offered some work for for uh, an extremely affordable cost, yeah, of, of, nothing <laughs> of free, <laughs> yeah. Um, give me a rundown on that. At the time that I started that, I had uh, <clears throat> I'd been exposed to the thought uh, a few months earlier by one artist that I'd seen online, and then I thought about it. But at the time, I was I was thinking I would I needed to still be able to make bills, you know, right. But later, um, several months later, I was exposed to the thought again. There was a tattoo artist uh, named Dave Cutlip. Um, I think he still does it. 
Um, but at least at the time he was covering um, hate-filled things, uh, racial things, bigoted things, demonic things, and especially in the area that he lived, he was covering up uh, pimp tags on prostitutes who had left the life of prostitution. And they were he was covering up their uh, pimp's tattoo right. that marked who they belonged to for free because they couldn't afford it. And he would turn it. He would turn it into a spectacular work of art, at, at no cost to them. And he actually had set up uh, means by which people could donate online, similar to GoFundMe, mm-hmm. where people who wanted to be helping fund to cover the cost of the materials and so forth. Um, and uh, so I saw that, and I thought about it, and I asked the Lord about it, and then I put up a post on my Facebook page for the shop. Right. That if anybody had any of that stuff, I wanted to make a difference. And I would offer to cover it for nothing. Mm-hmm. They had to come in for a consult, and, and we would talk about how to go about it. Um, <clears throat> and they'd have to schedule time, and I would just take it on and do it. And since then, I know that there are there's probably a dozen that I'm aware of that are doing this across the nation. Um, it's, it's a significant... Um, donation of their time and talent so i'm a hundred dollars 120 dollars an hour right and it might take three or four or five hours or more to affect a cover on some of these people but they're they're in a place where it they don't think there's any hope to get rid of this to walk clear of this so where the other people don't immediately associate them with something so negative and uh, the other possibility is lasering yeah. Which takes a long, a lot more time. And painful. And it's quite a bit more painful. Well, you know, one thing that I, I definitely remember is that gigantic, the, the, I don't, dude, I'm, I, I'm a big person. <laughs> I, I'm a big person. So if I call you big, you're big. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not super tall, man. I'm only about 5'10. But I, you know, I, I've spent most of my life at, at powerlifting, mm-hmm. and I've been around big human beings. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to tell you, I remember when that gigantic <laughs> white boy walked in your oh, yeah. shop, and he was covered head to toe with Aryan mm-hmm. stuff. Big John. Yep. <clears throat> big John. And Big John, I remember when he stuck his hands out for me, and he's like, oh, you're a bird, Eldridge. I've oh, yeah. heard all about you. And oh, yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> like he's like shaking my body. He wasn't shaking my hand. I, I did everything but come completely off the ground when the guy shook my hand. Oh, yeah, he's a significant human being, all right. <laughs> yeah, we'll just, yes. But he's also a significant presence. But he mm-hmm. had he had some stuff on him that was... He was he was uh, he wasn't ashamed. He'd mm-hmm. went through his stuff. He accepted Christ's forgiveness. Mm-hmm. But what he did not want to do is project that to the people he was talking to, which was a lot of younger people. Right. He didn't want them to admire right. that. Right. Or and, have it or have it color the opening moments of their conversation. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about Big John. Um, Big John has a full shirt that he got in prison of serious uh, Nazi stuff. And um, he can keep a shirt on with the sleeves down and none of that's visible. But he had a he had a pretty significant one right on the front of his throat. Yep. And so we got rid of it and we hid it under a, um, 
a shackle. Yeah. Which is a, a, a we're not talking about manacles like slave manacles. We're talking about a clevis shackle from because a, from a crane. Right. Because he's a crane operator. Right. And so yeah, we covered it up just like that. It took it took some doing. That was some sensitive skin. But it's done. Yeah, we're talking right on his throat, right over the top of his Adam's apple. And this thing was not little. No, it was big. Yeah, because when I, you know, my arm tattoo, my upper shoulder tattoo that Craig covered, I would bet he put the same amount of ink in that guy's neck. Yeah, probably. Probably. (laughs) He was a giant. He's a big guy. And, and, And it worked. It, it, it achieved its purpose. Absolutely. And, and so that's using your talent. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's one thing that I would say to other tattoo artists that are listening here is if you have opportunity here, you, you know, the only thing we have in life, you talk about the, the, the tattoo gun mm-hmm. and your needles the machine, and your yeah. stuff. So how much does something like, I mean, to pull all that together, let's just round estimate. This isn't true for all shops. I'm mm-hmm. just saying at the end of the day, you end up what in doing something like that for, right. for, for material. Material layout, maybe $10, 20 10 or 20 bucks. Maybe. It, some guys, if they're using real high-end, all-disposable cartridge systems, maybe 30 Okay, so let's go 30 bucks. <clears throat> but I want to I point this out. Is that what you invested was not the thirty dollars? That meant right. nothing. No, what I invested was five hours of my time that somebody else could be in the seat, making so money. Thirty dollars plus maybe five hundred, so five hundred and thirty dollars of my time um, and materials to change the course of a person's life. And the reason I want to point that out is because the only thing that we ever really got—I mean, even you giving me this time today—our mm-hmm. time costs money. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing you've got mm-hmm. to sell. Yeah, and it's time. Um, and, and but but more than that, what you did is you made you didn't give away your time. No, I invested it. You invested it in their life because you were invested in the kingdom of heaven. Exactly. And that was the one thing that I I know you and I both strongly suggest to tattoo artists consider this. Consider it from this, even if you're not a believer, even if you're not a believer in in. Jesus or the afterlife or anything, just consider the benefit of giving something of such significance to somebody else is a different, a change in their life for the better. They don't have to walk through the rest of their life carrying something that is an immediate barrier Mm -hmm. to somebody else relating to them as a person. Making them human. Right. Because somebody, when they're young, can make all kinds of dumb decisions. I made thousands and those decisions can land them in a position where the only decisions that seem to make sense are equally dumb. Right. But then they can have a moment for right. many people like you. It was behind bars, right? They can have a moment that changes their heart. Right. And that can change everything for the rest of their life, but that can be hindered by visible representations of pure evil. Right. And the opportunity to help a person step more completely away from that is a gift to them, Mm -hmm. but it's also a gift to me. The ability to be able to touch somebody's life so significantly that when they stand up and look in the mirror, they're reduced to tears of joy Mm -hmm. because they never thought they would be clear of that. Mm -hmm. That you can't buy moments like that. Right. 
<clears throat> well, one of the things, uh, so we, I mean, when we think about everything we've talked about here over this last 45 minutes is we've, we've covered the witchcraft you lived in. We covered mm-hmm. you, you're working in different areas and, and some of the ministries you've been, uh, involved in, but here over the next few minutes, what I want to cover is, uh, Belize. Belize. Yes. When, I love that I mean, place. I mean, Craig goes from, <laughs> uh, when I met him, uh, he was doing good with the group he was working with. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful thing, when God put him and I together, uh, I, I'm going to say this, and and you correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, let's be straight with our listeners here. Mm-hmm. Is they were well on their way to trying to shape you and form you into a domesticated Christian. Oh, yeah. Big time. And then you met this big bearded <laughs> yeah. guy that says, what? I don't do stuff like that. Man. Right. We, we, we're going to darkness. Mm-hmm. And yep. and we ponied up and you, you rode along with me. And, yeah. and I'd had guys with me before. I'd actually been through 12 partners at the jail by the time you came along. <laughs> Over three years. Because most of them got in there and they would leave going, I'm scared. I can't go back into that. (laughs) Because it wasn't about the people. It was about the demons that live inside there. Yeah, there's some some scariness in there. And we have busted a bunch of that. Mm -hmm. Because Holy Spirit working through us has destroyed tons of that. Now on the other end is you went through that. You start this tattooing business on Mm -hmm. and on and on with... uh, I mean, I remember when I first met you, you lived in a house for free. Mm-hmm. that the bank should have taken from you. Mm-hmm. But God watched over you Yeah, and did. kept providing and providing and providing. I remember mm-hmm. so many times you're like, oh, my finances are a disaster. And then, but God, man, I've watched God work in your life. And, and we could do a whole nother segment on just that. Oh yeah. Easy. But one of the things that happened is eventually you say, Bert, I'm going to Belize. And I said, oh yeah, man. Oh yeah. You need to do that. It was awesome. So tell us about Belize. I got asked if I would be part of a team to go down to Belize um, with Zach and Chelsea Horner. And I jumped at the chance. You know, they wanted me to pray about it. And I did. Mm-hmm. But I already had my passport. And mm-hmm. I was all in. <clears throat> and uh, I got to go down there. And it's phenomenal. It, it, it's sometimes it's really hard to put into words all that you experience. We went to uh, Laugh Out Loud, uh, LOL Children's Home. It's Laugh Out Loud Ministries. Can they find that on Facebook? I don't know if they can find it on Facebook, but they can definitely find it on the internet. Right, because if you wanted to contribute, this is a worthwhile it, contribution. Totally. They, they always need funds, and it's absolutely worthwhile. These... What this is, is it's a children's home. It is not an orphanage. Right. Okay. Belize, there is a large amount of children whose parents are not present. They're not present because they've, maybe they, maybe they got involved in drugs and they're not arrested and not dead, but they're not there. Right. Or maybe they got arrested and they're in prison. Right. Or maybe they are no longer in prison, but they're trying to earn their parental rights back. Right. Which can be very difficult there. But so these children have been taken by the government from unfit parents and placed into the system, Mm -hmm. as it were. 
and there are a number of homes that children are in like they're at capacity right <clears throat> lol routinely will have children one two three four dropped off at whatever hour the police get them there i one story i remember is six of them were dropped off at like midnight hmm. they have what they're wearing Right. Two of them were in diapers, and the diapers were dirty, and there were no changes. There was no diaper bag. There was nothing. Mm -hmm. And the people there take these children in and love on them. Mm -hmm. They don't become numbers. They're not stuck in a big room with a pile of other kids. They're actually assigned foster parents within the home. Within the, the, the children's home, there are a number of foster parents each foster parent has a few children that they're dealing with as a parent would. Right. These children are there, some of them only for a few months, but I think that's rare. I think most of them are there for a number of years where they, they get fed three times a day. Right. They get showers. They have clothing put on them. They're treated as human beings, as children who are loved by God. And by the staff, as each of them is a unique human being who has gifts and talents, abilities within them that the Lord placed there for the benefit of the body. And these people love on these kids and help them find what they're good at, what their gifts, talents, and abilities are, and help them to nurture and develop that. They have kids who have gone all the way through high school. They have kids who have left there at 18 to go on to college. Mm -hmm. They have some that have been adopted um, into the United States, but that's actually very difficult. Belize is not. Yeah, they don't like They to don't like to do that. And, and, that's, and that's good. It is good. Because that's how you, if you ship off a generation, mm -hmm. then you lose that in your country. Right. I, can't, I don't know enough about the political system down there to really speak with any kind of knowledge or authority, but I, I just know what I saw. Right. In the 10 days that I was there is a functioning community. Right. There's a, a large house that, okay, LOL is on a, a section of land. Right. I don't know how big it is, but it's jungle, real jungle. And it's been hand, every bit of cleared land there was cleared by hand. Right. Not by machine. They didn't have the funds or the availability. Mm -hmm. and, and it's just it's how it's done. Right. They, they cleared off the, the underbrush and the big trees they used for lumber for the buildings. Right. They built the buildings. Right. They, everything that's there, they have constructed. And it was three kids from the United States. Is uh, that right? Or no, is it more? No. I'm listening. Um, the people that run it, Jervis and Melissa. Jervis is from Belize. Oh, Jervis from Belize. Okay, my okay. apologies. Melissa is from, his wife is from the United States. Okay, okay. Um, they, I don't know very much of their story. Right. But we need Zach, to get them on this show, man. We do. Zach and Chelsea met them in Colorado. Right, right, right. Because they were pastors there for a time. And I know that they just saddled up and decided they were doing, yep. and they did. Jervis prayed many times sought the Lord for what he wanted, what God wanted him to do. And he felt like he was being led back to Belize to stand for the youth. Right. And his wife was all in. Right. And they, they literally packed up their car with what they had and a small amount of money and just went. Whoo, and, that's that's and awesome. 
This is 20-something years later. They have this functioning. There's 36 kids there when I was there, mm-hmm. ranging from little bitty bitty up right. to 17-ish. Right. And uh, they were putting up um, small family homes on right. part of the property, a little community for the, the foster parents to give the children an experience of living in a home. Right. This is your home, not the big house. Right. This house. Right. You know, and but but being able to we went down there with the specific purpose of we didn't know what we were gonna do when we got there. The plans changed halfway along the way. But we went with the heart of whatever you guys need. Right. We will do what we can to provide that. Right. And it was amazing. I helped stain cabinets because they have to be stained every year, stained and varnished, or the jungle air eats them. Right. (laughs) It's it's preventative maintenance. I helped with that. I helped with the outside of one of the homes. I helped with other things. I helped prepare meals. We ate there one meal a day with the kids at lunchtime. You know, it was awesome. Would you be willing to come back? Because we're hitting at Absolutely. the end of our time. Would you be willing to come back and let's just do a, a show just specifically on the Belize experience? I would love to. All right. Well, what we'll do is we'll make arrangements here in the next few weeks in order to do that. <laughs> and uh, but as we're we're ticking down, I just want to I just want to say from me, Craig, is that you've made a huge impact on my life, <laughs> and. Um, you know, part of uh, God places people in your life in order to help you grow. And you are definitely one of those people in my life. You, When I look back at men that have been men with me, that Christians that have truly pursued Jesus Christ with me, mm-hmm. you are on the very top end of my list. And uh, I just, I cannot thank you enough for all of the work you do. And I know that now you're down in Santan, mm. Arizona, and you're, you're, you sponsor this show. <laughs> and that... Uh, my privilege. <laughs> more than anything, you have made a difference in us. So, closing word? Um, what the, the biggest thing that I learned for me in Belize and coming back from Belize is that there's no accidents and no coincidences and God has a plan. Trust him and trust the plan. Even if you don't know what the plan is, you're still right in the center of his hands. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, folks, uh, this is Bert Eldridge calling you out into the wild. And I'm mm. reminding you of this. Jesus loves you. And I love you, and there's absolutely nothing you can do to stop us. (laughs) Jonathan, are you drinking a beer again on the job? Allegedly. Christy? Is he drinking? No. Hey, if you've got trouble with your employees the way I have in trouble with my two employees, I'd suggest you send them down to Rocky Mountain Drug Testing. They're located in Casper, Wyoming, and serve in the greater Rocky Mountain region. 307-315-5858. Christy?